And, uh, well, I'd say turn to Esther, but uh, we're not going to be in Esther very long, right, this morning, okay? We're going to get there, though. Uh, But uh, I want to give an introduction to the book of Esther. Uh, We've been uh, studying uh, the three books that go together, Ezra, Nehemiah. Now we come to Esther in our little mini-series in the Word of God. Uh, We mentioned earlier that these three books go together and Maybe chronologically, uh, it's Esther means would uh, have taken place in between Ezra and Nehemiah, but uh, we're going to take it in the order that God gave it to us. Okay, uh, we're going to go uh, now to Esther. We've looked at Ezra and Nehemiah, and so uh, we're going to look at Esther in the coming weeks, the Lord willing. Now, it's been said, providence is the hand of God in the glove of history. Providence is the hand of God in the glove of history. Uh, Providence is really a theological term. It can be defined as that continuous agency of God by which he makes all events of the physical and moral universe fulfill the original design with which he created it. Did you get that down? Uh, I'm sure you didn't, but uh, let me just put that in a little bit more understandable language. Let me point out there are three words, I think, that uh, would describe the three acts, the, the works of God in relationship to his physical universe. Number one is creation. Uh, we can remember those one-word one things, right? Uh, so creation is important. This explains the existence of the universe. By the word of God, he created all things. It tells us in Genesis 1.1, In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. Now, there are two alternatives. There is either you accept revelation or you accept speculation. Uh, there are two explanations. Evolution is speculation. There's no scientific explanation for the origin of the universe. You have to speculate about it. Nobody was there. By the way, your science teacher wasn't there when it happened. Nor was anybody that wrote your books in school. They weren't there. So it's better to accept revelation, God's word, to explain the origin of the universe. Now, I came across this illustration recently. I thought it was appropriate to put it in here. Uh, you know, we have millions of monkeys, and we have millions of men today, but where are all those guys in between? You ever, ever thought about that? You go to the zoo, and you find all these monkeys. You, they're walking around like that monkey. And then you go around to the mall, and you have all these people walking around like people are, should walk around. But where are all the people in between? Okay. Well, they don't exist because they never did exist. So we have creation. God created the heaven and the earth. That explains the existence of the universe. Secondly, we have preservation. Preservation explains the continuance of the universe. Not only did God create the universe, but he holds it together. The Lord Jesus Christ is the creator, but he is also the preserver. Hebrews chapter 1 and verse 3 says, Who being the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person and upholdeth all things by the word of his power when he had by himself purged our sins, sat down on the right hand of the majesty on high. Colossians 1.17 And he is before all things and by him all things consist. It is held together by him. 
It would come apart today if it were not for the Lord Jesus Christ. Now you say, it, sound, it kind of looks like it's falling apart. No, it's still being held together. And I'm thankful for the, the preserving work of our Lord, even in the day in which we live. He is holding together the atoms, which are the building blocks of this universe. Thirdly, then, comes providence. Providence explains the progress and the development of this universe. Creation explains the origin. Uh, preservation explains the continuance. And then providence explains the progress and the development. You know, providence is the means by which God directs all things, both animate and inanimate, seen and unseen, good and evil toward a worthy purpose, which means that it, His will will finally prevail. Now, God's Word clearly teaches this. In Psalm 103, verse 19, it says, The Lord hath prepared His throne in the heavens, and His kingdom ruleth over all. Psalm 135 and verse 6, Whatsoever the Lord pleased that he did, uh, did he in the heaven and in earth, in the seas, in all the deep places. You see, God is running this universe to please himself. He's not running this universe to please you or me. We are creatures. He is the creator. Make no mistake about this. We often get the idea that because we live in a free country, that we are in control, we're free to do as whatever we please. That freedom is only because He has given it to us. He is the creator. We are the creatures or the creation. Psalm 135 verse 7 says, He causeth the vapors to ascend from the ends of the earth. He maketh lightnings for the rain, and He bringeth the wind out of the tre His treasuries. Who smote the firstborn of Egypt, both man and beast, who sent tokens and wonders into the midst of thee. O oh, Egypt, upon Pharaoh and upon all of his servants, who smote great nations and slew mighty kings. God takes the responsibility for doing these things. Daniel chapter 4 and verse 35 says, And all the inhabitants of the earth are reputed as nothing. And he doeth according to his will in the army of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth, and none can stay his hand or say unto him, What doest thou? God does not have to answer to anyone concerning his conduct. God is running this universe, and he runs it according to his providential dealings. Ephesians 1 and verse 11, in whom also we have obtained an inheritance, being predestinated according to the purpose of him who worketh all things after the counsel of his own will. You see, God is the steering wheel of the universe. God is behind the scenes and he's shifting them and directing them. He's standing in the shadows and he's keeping watch over his own. Providence is the hand of God in the glove of history. And that glove will never move until he moves it. Now there are a number of places in the scriptures where we find the providence of God clearly at work. And the first one is here in the book of Esther. The book of Esther teaches the providence of God. And this is one of the great lessons from this book of the Bible. But it's interesting that as you read the book of Esther, and I read it through again this week, in preparation for the message, I read through it, and I didn't find the name of God mentioned one time. The name of God is not mentioned in the book of Esther. When for that reason, there are those who would say, well, you know, it really shouldn't be in our Bibles, should it? 
If God's not even mentioned, however, it is the revelation of the people of God out of the will of God, and they are purposely, willfully walking away from Him and will not appeal to Him, and so no appeal is made to God in the book of Esther. But you know what? God is going to overrule, and God is going to protect. Now, the basis for the word providence is to provide. God will provide. It means that God is back of His creation. He's in back of the human race. He's in back of those who are His own by redemption. See, God is directing them. Now, if you have a uh, have read or studied the book of Esther in the past, you remember that she was made a queen, and not queen for a day. Now, I know that that dates me a little bit there. Some of you young, young people don't have a clue what I'm talking about, queen for a day. Well, there used to be a television program during the daytime that was called Queen for a Day. And uh, they would tell the sad story of, of say, four uh, ladies there and what their situations were. And then they'd have an applause-o-meter, you know. And everybody would, would all applaud for, you know, he'd hold his hand over one and they'd applaud. And then they'd hold his hand over another and they'd applaud. And, and then they'd get a little louder. And, and, they'd, and whoever had the most applause was the queen for the day. And she would get all kinds of gifts, appliances, and stoves, and mixers, and, and all kinds of stuff that no queen would ever use. You ever think about that? You know, if she was really a queen, she'd never use all that stuff. But Esther was not just a queen for the day. She was made queen for a lifetime. And she uh, was chosen by a beauty contest. She was the lucky one to be chosen. Well, was she really the lucky one to be chosen? Or was, that's not God's viewpoint, That's our viewpoint, maybe. That's the world's viewpoint. Now, we also see her uncle, Mordecai, Mordecai, who happened to overhear a plot to slay the king. Wasn't he lucky, too? He overheard that. He just happened to be there. No, God was in charge, and God was overruling. But then he reported the plot and and went unrewarded, unrecognized. Oh, how unlucky he was. Didn't get any credit for it. Well, then he became a victim of the wrath of Haman, an influential man in the kingdom. And by refusing to bow to him, as a result, Haman not only determined to destroy Mordecai, but also the people throughout all of his kingdom. His people, that is, the Jews. And then one night, the king could not sleep. They didn't have sleeping pills back in those days. And so he called for the book of the records of the kingdoms, the chronicles, the minutes of the kingdom. Now that would have been pretty boring, right? You think, man, to read through the chronicles of the kingdom, that would that put anybody to sleep, right? Well, there were a few exciting parts there, and the king hoped, well, uh, maybe this is going to be boring enough to put me to sleep. But then it came across the account of Mordecai, uh, Mordecai and a. Uh, he, 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 how he had saved his life. And the king asked if he had ever been rewarded and found that out that he had not been. And so he decides to reward him. Boy, he's lucky now, right? Well, that's good luck. Well, maybe from the human standpoint, but not according to God. 
God was directing, God was saving his people from being destroyed. But I don't want to give you all of Esther this morning. I've got to have something for the next few weeks. So let's look at another example. There's Joseph. In Genesis, where we find God's providence at work in the life of Joseph. Here is another person that appeared from the human viewpoint to run into some real bad luck. At the age of 17, he was the favorite of his father. He'd been given a coat of many colors, and that sounds good. But his brothers plotted against him. They wanted to murder him. They sold him into slavery. They carried him away to Egypt. And for a young man, that would have been terrible. But he recognized the hand of God was upon him, and he began to advance. He had been sold to an Egyptian official, and just as he was about to reach the top The rug was pulled out from under him, and he was put into prison. Was this a time to give up? No, because he interpreted dreams for the baker and the butler. And when the butler was released from prison, Joseph asked him to remember uh, him to the, the Pharaoh. But guess what? The butler forgot him. And so Joseph sent a couple, uh, spent a couple more years in prison. Boy, he was unlucky. The hand of God, though, was upon his life. Next, Pharaoh had a dream, and the butler remembered. Oh, yeah, I remember the guy who who, uh, interpreted my dream. Just think, if the butler had remembered Joseph earlier, Joseph would have probably gotten to go home. And he would not have been there to interpret the dream for Pharaoh. God kept him there. For again, God preserved a people. Later, Joseph would look back on his life and he'd tell his brothers, you thought evil against me, but God meant it for good. You see, God puts in our lives even enemies. And he's done it for our good. Yes, we'll gripe and we'll complain and we'll whine, but God permits those in our lives for a purpose. God permits us to have an enemy or trouble comes into our lives, so we'll turn to him. And the only way we can get a great many folks by, uh, 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 he can get to a great many folks is by sending them trouble. Now, maybe you've had that experience. You turned to God when trouble came into your life. And you would not have done so otherwise. You see, God permits those things in our lives for a reason. I think if we would take the word disappointment and we would spell it with an H, his appointment, it would be more accurate, wouldn't it? God permits disappointments, enemies, and even tragedies to come, but he does it for his purpose. Disappointment can be his appointment. Well, there's another person who we find in the Bible. We see the providential dealings of God, and that's the uh, the woman Ruth. One morning, Ruth went out to Bethlehem, went out to a field where uh, uh, to glean, and she knew nothing about Bethlehem. How did she know which field to choose? Ah, she was lucky. Well, she was just lucky. No, she didn't know which field to choose, but it was important that she choose the right one because. If she does not go to the right field, the prophecy that Micah gave in Micah 5 and 2, verse 2, would be wrong. Word would have to be sent to the wise men not to come. 
Jesus would not be born in Bethlehem. But she did go to the right field, didn't she? You look in Ruth chapter 2 and verse 2 and 3 and it says, And Ruth the Moabitess said unto Naomi, Let me now go to the field and glean ears of corn after him in whose sight I shall find grace. And she said unto her, Go, my daughter. And she went and came and gleaned in the field after the reapers. And her hap was to light on a part of the field belonging unto Boaz, who was of the kindred of Amalek. Proverbs 16.33 says, The lot is cast into the lap, but the whole disposing thereof is of the Lord. You cannot even roll the dice, but what God is uh, there seeing how it's going to come up. You see, God uh, says to you and me, Don't gamble with me. I'll win. I know how it's coming up. You don't. Many people gamble with their lives. And we ought not to gamble with God. We don't know what's going to happen tomorrow, but God does. Ruth looked to God and she prayed, but God never revealed it to her. He just simply led her by his providence. And as he would lead you and me today, if we're willing. Then I think a man by the name of Ahab, a king. It's an interesting case of God's providential dealings has to do here with king of Israel, King Ahab. He's also sometimes called the pouting king. You find that in 1 Kings 21. But in 1 Kings 22, we have the record of an alliance between Ahab and Jehoshaphat, one that Jehoshaphat should never have made, but it was an alliance to go to war against Syria. Reminds me of our current president and the alliance or the deal he wants to make with Iran. In verse 30, he tells us that Ahab would disguise himself and he would go into battle with a uniform of a common soldier so that only Jehoshaphat could be identified as the king, which almost got him killed because the Syrians always went after the king. And Ahab thought to himself, they won't get me this time. I'm well protected. I'm disguised. And when they went after Jehoshaphat, Ahab probably sighed a big sigh of relief and said, I made it. But he didn't make it because there was a trigger-happy Syrian soldier. It says in 1 Kings 22 and verse 34, And a certain man drew a bow at a venture and smote the king of Israel between the joints of the harness. Wherefore he said unto the driver his chariot, Turn thine hand and carry me out of the host, for I am wounded. He later would die of that wound because that arrow had Ahab's name on it. The soldier put an an arrow into his bow and he pulled it back and he let it go. He wasn't even aiming at anything. I wonder, like the little boy with the BB gun, his friend asked him, well, what did you hit? And the reply was, nothing. And his friend then asked him, what were you aiming at? And the reply was, nothing. You know, sometimes if we don't aim at something, we're not going to hit something, right? But in 1 Kings 22, the soldier was aiming at nothing, but he hit Ahab, and the king was killed because God said of Micaiah the prophet in verse 17, this was going to happen to him. You see, God's in control. It wasn't just that Ahab was unlucky. God was in control. This is the providence of God. I think of Caesar Augustus. You know, Caesar Augustus, he signed a tax bill. 
It's interesting that would cause uh, interest. Uh, it's of interest that that would cause a prophecy given over in Micah over 700 years earlier to be fulfilled. Now, was that Caesar's concern? Did he say, you know, there's a prophecy back there that I need to fulfill, so I'm going to make this tax bill. No, he never even thought of that. He didn't say, I've got to fulfill this prophecy. No, he was concerned about collecting taxes. He had a huge army to maintain. He had to carry out a poverty program in Rome. And so he signed a tax bill that moved Mary and Joseph to Bethlehem in fulfillment of Micah 5 and verse 2. Psalm twenty-two twenty-eight says, For the kingdom is the Lord's, and he is the governor among the nations. Yes, he was then, and he still is today. You know, we can, we can uh, wring our hands and say, Oh my, what's going to happen? What's going to happen? Do you know what? God's in control. It doesn't look good in our country, but God's in control. I think also of Stephen. One day there was a young man that was arrested. A Christian young man. A man who loved the Lord. And his name was Stephen. And the verdict was handed in. They stoned him to death. In Acts chapter 7, verse 55, it says, And he, being full of the Holy Ghost, looked up steadfastly into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing on the right hand of God and said, Behold, I see the heavens opened and the Son of Man standing on the right hand of God. And then they cried out with a loud voice and stopped their ears and ran upon him with one accord and cast him out of the city and stoned him. And the witnesses laid down their clothes at the young man's feet, whose name was Saul. He said, I see the heavens open and the Son of Man standing. They cried, it's blasphemy. And Saul of Tarsus, a young Pharisee, a skeptic, a leader of those who persecuted Christians, he was there. He witnessed what happened and how Stephen died, and he realized that Stephen had something he didn't have. A few days later, on the way to Damascus, a blinding light struck Saul down, and the Lord Jesus Christ spoke to him. And God, by his providential dealings, used Stephen, and he being dead was still speaking to Saul of Tarsus. Now, I've given you a number of places and people in the scriptures where it's clearly seen concerning the providence of God, and we could give you many, many, many more examples of this. From the scriptures, but you know, God's providences are not limited to the Bible. They are evident in what we might even call secular history. And since you're all students of history, since I've become your pastor especially, uh, let me remind you of a few events. There's a man by the name of Xerxes. Now, we're not told this in our history books, but you know what? God stopped Xerxes. God had said uh, said through Daniel that he was going to move the world power out of the east from Asia and Africa to Europe. He did it when Xerxes came to Thermopylae and he lost his battle there. Why? He had a superior force, but could only put a few men in the narrow pass that was there. And the Greeks had superior soldiers. 
Xerxes had a superior number of sea vessels as well. And even though the Greeks were masters of the sea, they were no match for Xerxes. But you know what? God sent a storm that destroyed 300 vessels of Xerxes and it shifted the power from the east to the west and changed the entire destiny of the world. God moves in the affairs of men. I think of Napoleon. He said, God is on the side of the biggest army. But he was wrong. Because he had the biggest battalion at Waterloo, he met his defeat. I think of Columbus, Christopher Columbus. You know, the hand of God has been on our nation. When Columbus was coming to the Western Hemisphere for the first time, he headed directly to either the coast of Virginia or the Carolinas. And it has been said that a flight of pigeons went by, and so he followed them. And consequently, the Spanish flag, because he was, he was exploring for Spain, the Spanish flag went up in South America and the West Indies because even though he was an Italian, he was sailing for Spain. And those who came to North America ultimately were not Catholic They were either Protestant or Baptist or something in between. Although there were some Catholics who came, but not a majority. And so there's a reason our first language today is English and not Spanish. Although some would like to change that. God has been directing the affairs of man. I think also of the Spanish Armada. So how is it that those who came to North America were not Spanish-speaking people, but rather English-speaking people? I believe it had much to do with the defeat of the Spanish Armada. The Spanish Armada was the greatest, most powerful fleet of ships in the world in the 1580s. And it was anchored off the coast of England. The next day, England would have gone down in defeat. But you know what? A great storm came up. A great storm. And when the morning broke, the Spanish Armada was wrecked. The mighty winds of the storm had dashed the ships on the rocky coast. And as a result, Great Britain became the leader of the seas for the next 300 years. And the destiny of the world changed. Think about that the next time the wind blows and a great storm comes up. What could be changing because of that storm? Let me give you one more example of the providence of God from history. Benedict Arnold. During the War of Independence, Benedict Arnold betrayed his country. He gave the entire blueprint of West Point to Major Andre of the British forces. Major Andre was riding on horseback toward the British lines with those blueprints in his boot. And he came to a crossroad and he did not know which road to take, but God knew. And down that road were some colonial soldiers. He made the big mistake of saying the wrong thing or they never would have searched him, but they did. And they discovered the awful betrayal which saved our country. You see, yes, God guides nations. I can see that. But what about individuals today? What about the man who has turned his back upon God? Is there any hope for him? 
Isaiah 42 and verse 16, after presenting my servant who is the Lord Jesus Christ and then talking about the nation of Israel, he says, and I will bring the blind by the way that they knew not. I will lead them in paths that they have not known. I will make darkness light before them and crooked things straight. These things will I do unto them and not forsake them. See, that's what God says. A man who does not know, who cannot see the way, who has ruled God out, is still under his care. He will lead him by the way that he knows not. How many times has someone been brought to an area of the country or to a certain town or to a certain city and found their way to a church or to revival meetings uh, where the gospel was being preached and they were saved and their life was completely turned around? I read of a doctor who was attending a medical convention in a city away from his home, and he was staying in a hotel, and he it had been a rough Saturday night, and he was far from God. But he knew when he got up the next morning, he looked out of his window, and he saw this sign, Jesus saves. And for some reason, he decided to go to church. He told the preacher at a later time, I knew the message was from me from the beginning. When you gave the invitation, not a hand went up, and I knew for sure you preached that message just for me. I went back to my room, and I got on my knees, and I got saved. You see, the providence of God was at work. You see, I would have no reason for being here this morning and preaching if it were not for the providence of God. I don't know what is around the corner in your life. In fact, you don't either. You think you do. But God, by His providence, is leading you. You know, just look at people today. The philosophy is that of aimlessness in life, purposelessness of life, meaninglessness of life. And that's being taught in our schools, it's being taught on our colleges and our universities. And yet God, by His providence, had you in mind before the foundation of the world, and He wants to direct you today. Abraham took his son Isaac to the top of Mount Moriah. He built an altar there and he arranged the wood and the fire was ready. And his son said, Father, here's the fire and here's the wood, but where's the lamb? Abraham answered, God will provide. Providence means to provide. God will provide himself a lamb. Now, God did not provide the lamb at that time, but rather a ram caught in the bushes. And then 1,900 years or so later, a man walked into that area where Abraham had offered Isaac and John the Baptist said, Behold, the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world. And that Lamb was Jesus Christ. God has provided a Lamb for you. No matter what you need today, You can be sure you need the Lamb of God to take away your sin. You need Him. He can save you. He can make your life meaningful and purposeful. I close with this story. It happened many, many years ago. But it could have happened just this last week. It was in the oil fields of East Texas, and there was a dirt farmer there who was uneducated, but he was very shrewd. 
Oil was discovered on his land, and he was smart enough not to sell it, but become an independent oil operator. And so he became very wealthy. He built a beautiful home, and he had a wife and two sons, and yet this man was godless. He was wicked. He was vile. He was profane. And one day the flu epidemic hit, and his wife and one of his boys died. A pastor from a nearby church went to visit him that evening, and he came to a lovely home. There were two caskets, and the man was sitting nearby. And the pastor went over to sit by this man, and he started to put his arm around the man to comfort him. And the man said, I don't want anything to do with that. He says, and he cursed God, he cursed the pastor, and he said, what right did God have to take my wife and my little boy? A few years later, there was an explosion in a school where of 500 children and 40 teachers, 294 students, or uh, 294 people died. It was a great tragedy. And the man knew that his little boy was in that school, and so he rushed over, and not finding him, he began to dig like a madman in the debris and the rubble. Finally, someone called to him and said, they found his little boy. The father gathered the boy in his arms, and he walked around the schoolyard as if he were insane. And he finally went home and placed the boy in a casket. And the same pastor knew that he had to go see him. And again, he went in, he found the father crushed and broken, but this time the pastor knew that he dare not try to put his arm around him, but he said this, I have come to comfort you the best I can. And the man looked up into the pastor's eyes with tears running down his cheeks and said, I've known all along that God was after me, but I didn't know that he would have to do this to get me. The man came to Christ after losing his wife and his two sons. He said, boy, he was unlucky, wasn't he? No, that's the providence of God at work. The providence of God. Listen to this quote by J.C. Ryle. Nothing, whatever, whether great or small, can happen to a believer without God's ordering and permission. There is no such thing as chance luck or accident in the Christian's journey through this world. All is arranged and appointed by God, and all things are working together for the believer's good. And then he also said there is no such thing as chance, luck, or accident in the Christian's journey. You see, by this, God's providence today, God moves into lives. I wonder this morning, have you recognized that in your life? Listen, don't buy into the world's philosophy that everything just happens by chance or by luck or uh, being lucky or unlucky. I don't believe it's any accident that each one of us are here together in this building today. I believe it's the providence of God. God wants to move in your life. There's no accident that you're here today. If you've never trusted Jesus Christ as your Savior, I invite you to come to Him today. Let's bow our heads in prayer.